You are listening to the Life Church podcast. To learn more about Life Church, our gathering times at any of our central Indiana locations, or our Life Crew online, visit us at lifechurchin.com or follow the link in the description. Today's talk is from Pastor Mike Melito. We're at 2 Samuel chapter 18, uh, 19 through 33, and uh, you saw the bumper, it's the shadow king, and David is a shadow of things to come in Christ. Uh, If you weren't here last week, I would really encourage you to go back and listen to that message because we really gave a very comprehensive um, explanation of how similar David's life is to Christ's, and it is... It's almost a perfect parallel, major difference being Jesus is perfect um, and David's not. But just a, a, a quick uh, uh, re- rehash of that, uh, David had someone who betrayed him, Ahithophel, right? And uh, Jesus also had someone betray him, Judas. And so you actually see what David wrote in Psalm 41, verse nine. He says, even my close friend in whom I trusted who ate my bread and has lifted up his heel against me. That's him writing about Ahithophel. But then if you go to the New Testament in John 13, Jesus says this, I'm not speaking about all of you. I know those who have chosen, but the scripture must be fulfilled. The one who eats my bread has raised his heel against me. Verbatim, right? And so you see that betrayal of Ahithophel is a shadow of things to come with Judas. And then that was just a minor betrayal compared to the betrayal of Absalom, who was a son, and, and Absalom wanted to take the kingdom and kill David and do all those different things, and you could go back and listen to all the reasons why, and when David had to flee uh, Jerusalem, he went to the Mount of Olives, which is exactly where Jesus went when he was betrayed. So you see that connection, and, and for Jesus, he didn't have Absalom betraying him, He had Lucifer, Satan, who was once the most beautiful angel in all of heaven. Just like the Bible says, Absalom was the most beautiful man in all of heaven with his long flowing hair like Fabio, right? Which ended up being his end in the end. But listen to what scriptures say about Lucifer in Isaiah 14. Shining morning star, how you have fallen from the heavens. You destroyer of nations, you have been cut down to the ground. You said to yourself, I will ascend to the heavens. I will set up my throne above the stars. I will sit on the mount mount of God's assembly in the remotest parts of the north. I will send above the highest clouds and make myself like the most high. That was Absalom's attitude towards David as well. And Absalom's uh, death ends in his life ends in death and he's thrown into a pit. Ahithophel who betrayed him hangs himself just like Judas and you could see all the parallels and and the point of that is Jesus' story, this whole story is still being played out today. There's still an enemy that's trying to build a case against Jesus, that's trying to build his own kingdom that wants to be like Jesus and be the most high but like Absalom, he'll destroy the people that follow him. And, and that's happening. Some of you are, you, you understand you're in the middle of that and maybe you're on the, the end where you feel like you're being destroyed. Well, the good news is that Jesus is the real king. He's perfect. He defeated death and sin on the cross. So David's the shadow of Jesus who's the light. And so that's the good news for us. But we have to make a choice of who we're gonna serve. 
Just like the Israelites had to choose, am I gonna go with Absalom or am I gonna go with David? And the ones who went with Absalom, a lot of them shared Absalom's fate. So you can begin to see, even as we're in the Old Testament, Jesus is all over this. You could see Jesus in the story, and the question as we continue is, can you see Jesus in your story? So 2 Samuel chapter 18, starting in verse 19, it says this. Ahimaaz, son of Zadok, and by the way, I gave Ahimaaz a uh, nickname. He's Ahi, Tuna. Ahimaaz, son of Zadok, said, please let me run and tell the king the good news that the Lord has vindicated him by freeing him from his enemies. Joab replied to him, you're not the man to take the good news today. You may do it another day, but today you're not taking good news because the king's son is dead. Joab then said to the Cushite, go tell the king what you have seen. And the Cushite bowed to Joab and took off running. So Ahimaaz wanted to go tell David that the, the battle was won and we have succeeded and he's really eager to. He's like, let me go. Let me go do it. And there's some reasons why. Well, because one of the reasons is Ahimaaz, back uh, like a chapter ago, he was the one that had to go to David and kind of tell him the bad news. Like, Absalom is coming for you. And he's going to take one set of advice or the other, but you need to prepare for the worst. Hope for the best, but prepare for the worst. And so if he's the one that gave him the bad news, then he wants to give him the good news, right? I don't want to always be the bearer of bad news. You know, Pastor Nathan I always uh, think about this, you know, we have the campus pastors and the leadership team, we're in leadership, and and the quote-unquote higher you go in leadership, the lonelier it gets. Why? Because all the bad news goes to you, right? Did you know this is happening? Well, you got to do something about this. You got to do something about this. I try to make it a point once in a while just to call Nathan to be like, hey, how's it going? Just praying for you. Like, I don't want to only ever call him when I have bad news. Or when something good happens, I want to make sure I call him and be like, this is awesome, that great, and you're doing good things. So you guys know what I'm saying? Like, I don't want someone to see my name on their phone and go, oh, okay, or send me voicemail because I'll deal with that later, right? So Ahimaaz, he doesn't want that. He wants to be able to tell him good news, and, and you could understand that, um, that he wants to do that. So um, and we have the benefit, by the way, of hindsight, knowing how things were going to turn out. Ahamaz didn't do that, so he was really pleasantly surprised. He missed one minor detail. And Joab made it clear, um, you're missing something here. Today is not the day for good news. Maybe another day, another time, because the king's son is dead. And really, nobody wanted to tell him that, right? He's dead. And you don't want, even if it did mean victory for David and Israel, Absalom was his son, and David asked that he not be harmed. Ahimaaz, you don't want to be the one to tell him that. And you don't want to act excited and happy and then tell him that. It was good advice. So he sends a Cushite, which is also uh, significant. Cushites were foreigners. So he's like, let's send a Cushite, let him do that, and we can give him the good news later, and, uh, and that'll be good. So picking it up, verse 22, however, Ahimaaz, son of Zadok, persisted and said to Joab, no matter what, please let me also run behind the Cushite. Joab replied, my son, why do you want to run? Since this won't even get you a reward. He says, no matter what, I want to run. 
Then run, Joab said to him. So Ahimaaz ran by the way of the plain and outran the Cushite. So now he's in front. He's going to be the first one to go. And he was persistent. Joab, please let me go. And it's almost like Joab's warning him. He's like, look, there's no reward in this. There's no honor in this. And perhaps you might be putting yourself at risk to do this. Ahimaaz, you really don't want to be the one to do this. Have you ever given someone advice that is 100% good and only for it to be ignored? Right? You try your best to warn or alert a friend and they ignore or insist on doing it their own way. So all that's left to do is shrug and watch the train wreck. (laughs) Right? Uh, Maybe that's how Joab feels. Uh, I don't know, but just to kind of put yourself in Joab's shoes, he even, he, he says, my son, you don't want to do this. When I first read this, I kind of, I look at Joab like this, you know, this big general. And he's like, no, you're not going to do this. You know, this is not your time. But it's, when he, when I read my son, I kind of get the feeling this is more of a tender moment. I must know you don't want to do this. And I was like, oh yes, I do. And I'm paraphrasing, but almost like, fine, fine, then do whatever. Do, do whatever you want, Fine. And sometimes when you give an answer like that, even when I've been in those shoes, I, there's, there's like a shred of hope that they'll change their minds. Anybody know what I'm saying? But he doesn't. He runs, and he outruns the Cushite, so he will indeed be the first one to share the news. Verse 24. David was sitting between the city gates when the watchman went up to the roof of the city gate and over to the wall. The watchman looked out and saw a man running alone. He called out and told the king. The king said, if he's alone, then he bears good news. (laughs) As the first runner came closer, the watchman saw another man running, and he called out to the gatekeeper, look, another man is running alone. This one's also bringing good news, said the king. And the watchman said, the way the first man runs looks to me like the way of Ahimaaz, son of Zadok. This is a good man. He comes with good news, the king commented. What does David mean by good news? Um, He's waiting, right? It says, you know, he basically, you know, I kind of picture him kind of like, you know, just kind of pacing, waiting, you know, like you're waiting for news in the waiting room, the hospital or something. You're just waiting for good news. And, And at first I'm thinking he wants the news that they won the battle. This fight is over. This conflict is over, right? But he did ask for Absalom to be okay. So really, what we have to remember when he's saying good news, in David's expectation, however unreasonable it is, he's hoping to hear both they won the battle and Absalom's okay, right? That's what he's expecting. Now that he sees Ahimaaz coming, that's what he starts to expect. Like a swell of hope is coming up in him. Okay, we won, and and Absalom's okay. And it's really heartbreaking as you kind of just see what's about to happen, waiting for the news that wasn't going to come. Even as those around David may have wondered how David could even hope for that, right? He was hoping. You know, everybody around him like, I don't know why he thinks Absalom's going to make it out of this alive. But he's a father. It's his son. 
And one of the reasons why this is our vision, fathering sons and daughters into the kingdom of God, is when a father, when an earthly father, his heart is aligned with our godly father, we never give up on our kids. We never give up on kids. There's always hope for our kids. Even if they've made a lifetime of bad decisions and they're going through the ringer because of it, as a, father, as a godly father, a godly mother, we always have hope for our kids. And David, that's where he is. He's, he's like, He's okay. Maybe we could restore him and we could be restored and our relationship could be restored. That's where he is. And take that in for a minute. Because there's about to be a wake-up call for him. There's about to be a reality check for him. And it's intense. Verse 28. Ahimaaz called out to the king. All is well. And paid homage to the king with his face to the ground. He continued, blessed be the Lord your God. He delivered up the men who rebelled against my Lord the king. It's good news. We won. They, God delivered us. And, 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 and everything's going to go back to the way it was. The way you're going to be king and everything's going to be great. Very first question. Very first thing out of David's mouth, verse 29. The king asked, is the young man Absalom all right? If I'm Absalom, or if I'm Ahimaaz at this point, a lump is hitting my throat. And all of a sudden, Joab's words are coming back to me like, oh boy, I should have listened to him. Listen to his reply. He replied, when Joab sent the king's servant to you, and your servant, I saw a big disturbance, but I didn't know what it was. <laughs> uh, uh, your son? Uh, you know, when Joab sent me, I, I know something was going on, but I, I'm, not, I'm not sure, David. <laughs> Have you ever had to deliver bad news? Or even confront somebody and realize the person in front of you is not going to be happy to hear what you had to say? That's not easy. And sometimes, maybe, sometimes, We'll just avoid the subject altogether or maybe even tell a little white lie like Ahimaaz is doing right now. He's lying. He's lying to David. Verse 20, before this happened, Joab says, you're not taking the good news to him. You could do it another day. Why? Because his son is dead. Ahimaaz knew the answer to David's question. And for all his eagerness, he did not have the heart to tell David the whole truth. He told him half-truth, part of the truth. And let's just take that as a warning. Let's not be the person who tells people we love and tells our friends half-truth. Example that might be good news. Jesus died on the cross for you. He's overcome your sin. You're saved. The rest of that story is now you need to live for him. Right? There's a lot of people out there telling half-truths right? And those half-truths are harmful because we're just kind of prolonging the agony of when the real truth is going to come. And in, in this case, what I'm saying, when we tell someone, hey, Jesus loves you, he forgives you, there's grace for you, without telling them that you've got to put your faith in him and believe in him. And by the way, believing is a verb, which means there's choices you need to make that come under his lordship, right? If we don't do the second part, we are setting them up for eternal destruction, Right? And so Ahimaaz is only telling him half truth. 
Not only is it his son, but David asks that he be spared. And so, verse 30, the king said, move aside, stand here. You don't know what you're talking about. So he stood on the side, and just then the Cushite came and said, my lord the king, hear the good news. The Lord has vindicated you today by freeing you from all who rise against you. Here it is. Here's half of the good news, right? I've got good news, bad news. What do you want first? Here's the good news, right? That's half of it. So the king asked the Cushite, is the young man Absalom all right? Okay, king, here's the whole truth. The Cushite replied, I wish the enemies of my lord the king, along with all who rise up against you with evil intent, would become like that young man. Now before we get to David's reaction, what is, which is gut-wrenching, I have to tell you, even when I read it, I get emotional, because I have a son and because of just all the things. But we have to really confront a question here. How did David, how did we expect David's men to deal gently with Absalom when God intended disaster for Absalom? You have God's will here. God's will is for Israel to be saved from an evil man. Absalom, he's not doing good things and, and God wants to heal and restore Israel, which meant bad things for Absalom. How does David contend with God's will? It's his sentimentality, right? David's sentimentality for his son, his feelings for his son, while are understandable and not necessarily wrong in and of themselves, but it was warping his perception to where he couldn't really even make a good decision on this situation. It's almost like a situation where he might have done better to be like, I'm going to recuse myself from this. I love my son. I really don't want to see anything bad happen to him, but this is the situation he set up, right? And we have to look at whose will won out, God's sovereignty or David's sentimentality. And the Cushite told him, what, what he was telling him is deliverance for you meant disaster for your son. You could not have one without the other. <laughs> There's a story about a famous Scott preacher. When he was a boy, he caught his arm in a threshing machine. When I read this story, I remember uh, when I was in college, for about a week, I had a job with, a, a, really it was a family. We went along the road and cut tree limbs down, and they have one of those big grinders. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And uh, I, I really hated the job, <laughs> so I only lasted a week. But when you put those branches in the grinder, if you've ever been on the end where you're putting them in, it's a little nerve-wracking. Like, if you get pulled in the wrong way, that, I mean, that, anyways, that's the picture that I had. So his arm got caught in a thresh, threshing machine, and everybody thought there was no hope of salvaging his arm. But there was a neighbor who was really good at home remedies or whatever, kind of a doctor, that wouldn't allow that to happen. And when the pain became severe, and that doctor examined it, he said, some really, he said something really strange. He said, I like the pain. I like the pain. Well, it's a good thing you like the pain. My son doesn't like the pain, right? I like the pain, right? 
And she was correct because the arm healed. The pain was a component of the healing. The two went together, right? You couldn't have one without the other. That's what needed to happen for health to be restored. And if the kingdom of God here in Israel, under God's chosen king David, was to be saved, the enemy who assaulted that kingdom had to be destroyed. God gives no salvation to the church or you and I unless he brings decisive judgment on our enemies and our sin. So like when we pray the Lord's Prayer and we repeat the line, deliver us from evil, we must also then look for God to destroy evil in our lives. We can't live it both ways. When we invite Christ into our lives, when we ask him to save us from our sin and we tell him we want his way and make us more like him, we have to realize it means something. I have to die. The Apostle Paul said something, and and if you're new to the Christian faith, and even this might hit you uh, a little weird, but Paul said, I die daily. What does that mean? It means there are things that I want, things that are natural to me, things that I love, that must be removed or destroyed. And even though it kills us for a moment, it does mean our deliverance. And we cannot have that deliverance without also the pain of dying to ourselves. Jesus said, if anyone wants to come after me, he's got to pick up his cross, right? That's part of the gospel. It's convicting and it's tough, but let it be a comfort to you today. Because as you do that, And as you walk through those things, on the other side, every step, every decision you make, your life, your heart gets a little lighter and you get a little more free. And God gets to do more and more in your life. For some of you, that's what's standing between you and God's next best thing for you. And that's where we see David. And it's understandable, it's his son. And it was the Cushite that told him the whole truth. And we need to be people who tell the whole truth. I don't blame Ahimaaz necessarily for for what he did, but Joab did try to warn him. Joab knew David needed the whole truth, and he knew how hard that was going to be to deliver it, so he sent the Cushite. In verse 33, it says, The king was deeply moved. And he went up to the chamber above the city gate and he wept. And as he walked, he cried, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, if only I had died instead of you. Absalom, my son, my son. In a lot of other cases, what bad news is even delivered to David, the most we'll get is, and he went into deep mourning. And then we'll get on to the next verse. This is totally different. The writer wanted us to see the anguish. And you could almost just put yourself in that moment, my son, my son, Absalom, my son. Why the drama? Yes because of the affection for his son, but there's more going on here. 
I have to think as he's mourning his son, the prophet Nathan's words are echoing in his heart. Remember when David had slept with Bathsheba and the prophet Nathan came and said, oh, you're going to be forgiven. However, there's a price to pay. And so as he's mourning the death of his son, I just kind of wonder if Nathan's words are echoing in his heart. The sword will not depart from your house forever. It was David's guilt that was inflaming his grief. Nathan assured David that he would not die, but his infant son would die. And he did. Then Amnon was murdered, and now Absalom had perished. And David knew that, as he was mourning, he knew that it was his sin that set the sword loose in his house. If only I had died instead of you. David was the guilty one, yet Absalom suffers. Now, Absalom was responsible for himself too, but it, would, it could have been a lot different. David was the guilty one. Absalom suffers. Amnon suffers. His infant son suffers. The consequences of David's guilt were weighing in with his grief. There was a time he didn't matter, you know, this grief didn't matter to him, right? When he acted outside of what he should have done, and he did sleep with Bathsheba, and Counter to this, he had her husband killed, and he didn't blink an eye. Perhaps David wished he had died instead of Absalom because he knew he deserved to die. Sometimes when we've done something wrong and we don't get the punishment for what we did wrong, that's almost worse, right? And when you look at something like that, when you look at what he was dealing with, it had to, at least in some ways, feel worse. It had to, in some ways, just bury him in his grief. Guilt aggravated his grief. He had a safe kingdom, but a sad king. First and second Samuel, clearly shows us that as the anointed King David is suffering, there it is, as the anointed King David is suffering here, however, he sheds tears for his own grief and guilt. He's suffering for his own grief and guilt, and he's wailing for his own grief and guilt. He's the shadow king, right? Jesus came, and he was wailing, and he was suffering not for his grief and guilt, but for yours and for mine. He's the real king. Amen? And for us to be saved, for us to be restored, for us to be redeemed, for us to have eternal purpose, for us to go to heaven, for things between us and God to be made right, that couldn't happen apart from the death of his son. He couldn't have it both ways. Just like David couldn't have it both ways. But the good news is, because he was without guilt, he rose. And when he rose, he opened heaven to us. And all the healing and all the goodness that God wants for us is poured out And yes, that's the good news. That's the truth. The whole truth is he still gives us a choice. And we have to make that choice. 
We have to make the choice to give him our life, to give him our sin, and then be willing for our sin to be crucified with Christ on the cross. There was another example I read about with David and Absalom. And and this writer said, it's kind of like a cancer patient who said to his doctor, please be gentle with my cancer. That's what he said about Absalom. Please be gentle with my son. Please, doctor, be gentle with my cancer. In fact, maybe if you could just leave a little bit, because after all, it is part of me. That would kill you. If he left even just a little bit of the cancer, it would just grow. And when we go to Jesus, we can have this attitude of, okay, but can we just leave this part? Can you be, just be gentle with this? Can, can you know what? This is just my little thing over here. Just leave it alone. And Jesus, his answer is no. If I leave any of it, it's going to kill you. You're going to be destroyed. I have to get rid of all of it. Just like when you get, you know, cancer surgery. I've got to get rid of all of it, you know, and they... They remove it all, and you, maybe you got to go through chemo, and you got to go through all this stuff, so it never comes back. And that's a very, cancer is an excellent illustration of sin. Because it spreads, and it destroys everything. And while David wanted his men to deal gently with Absalom, and that was the same, the same basic principle, he's saying, oh, you know what, he's my son, he couldn't do that. He couldn't have it both ways. And when we go to Jesus, we can't have it both ways. We've got to say, okay, give me the whole truth. We love you. Thank you for saving me. Let me walk for you the rest of my days. David mourned for his guilt. Jesus mourned and suffered for yours. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.